scripture reading is from John 3, verses 1 through 15. I believe it's 887 in your pew Bibles. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you, need not, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, this morning we're, as you heard in the word of the kid, for the kids, dealing with the topic of birth, second birth, being born again. And this is a term, it's a phrase that's kind of charged. Um, Ever since President Jimmy Carter was elected, maybe you remember the term born again being brought into public discourse. And now it's associated with being an evangelical Christian, so it has kind of political baggage associated, if you call yourself a born-again Christian. But moreover, it's a term that's closely affiliated with conversion or praying the sinner's prayer. If you're in the church or have been a part of the church for a while, we think about the person's experience of being made new, their conversion. Uh, This association uh, through the history of revivals, even in New England, um, it's led to a lot of muddled theology. Uh, So outside the church and inside the church, we've got issues when it comes to the term born again and what that actually means. But thankfully, we have a definition. It's clear. This wasn't a a human invention, this phrase, born again. Uh, God said it. It's in his word. So we need to return to the source. Let's go to his word and together seek to understand it with fresh eyes. There's been a lot of prayers. I'm going to pray again for him to do that. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes 
Uh, Would you soften our hearts? Would you use my weak words to bring to light your word, which is the truth. We pray that it would come to life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have a conversation between two men. There could have been other people there. We know that this was recorded in the Gospel of John, so maybe the Apostle John was there. But it's really Nicodemus and Jesus, this rather private conversation between Nicodemus, this Pharisee, which meant he was of high status in a religious sense, but he was also high, high up among Pharisees. He had political clout as well as religious clout. So he was one who was kind of embodied knowledge and wisdom. If anybody knew their stuff, it was the Pharisees and especially Nicodemus. And so when he hears of Jesus, this carpenter who's come from Galilee, and he hears these things about him, and maybe he even perceives them, um, that Jesus was a man of great knowledge, he had great teaching, he was known to be a teacher in the temple, but also that he performed miracles, refers to him here as signs. And so when he comes to him, he refers to him as rabbi, which means master or, or teacher, He calls him a teacher come from God. He says that no one can do such things unless God is with him. So he comes with respect, but he comes not truly understanding who it was he was talking to. We can see on the surface, maybe there's um, just an accurate statement that Nicodemus has made here, and we might even say, yeah, this guy seems like he's, he's legit. And then when Jesus comes right off and he says, you must be born again, it sort of appears like a non sequitur. Like, what What does that have to do with anything? And we're going to find out. Uh, But what follows is this dialogue where Nicodemus turns out to be the one who's without understanding, without knowledge. And Jesus is full of understanding. He's full of even self-understanding, pointing to himself as the great sign, the great miracle, the Word made flesh. So there are three parts to this passage. You might have noticed that as we were reading it. Uh, They begin with a statement or a question from Nicodemus, and they uh, have a follow-up response from Jesus, but they begin with this phrase, truly, truly, I say to you, And so this passage has three parts. The sermon has three parts. We're going to look at first the fact of new birth, second, the means of new birth, and third, the possibility of new birth. So the fact, the means, and the possibility. So first, the fact. So Nicodemus was intrigued by Jesus. Jesus had become a man of repute as an emerging leader among the Jews, Uh, He not only had great learning, though he was from humble birth, which at the time would have been uh, not normal, but he also had these accompanying signs and wonders. Uh, There were healings. Uh, He had uh, driven the um, traitors out of the the temple. Um, He had turned water into wine. There was something different about Jesus. Nicodemus wanted to find out what's up. He comes, 
in night and under uh, the, the, the uh, you, you could say privacy was what he wanted by coming at night. You could say he didn't want to be seen by others. You could say maybe Jesus was so popular that the only time you could get a one-on-one -on -one with him was at night. But whatever it is, whatever reason there is for Nicodemus coming at night, um, Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, and he cannot see the kingdom, uh, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There are two facts of life that kind of bookend life itself. One occurs at the beginning, one occurs at the end, birth and death. And these things only happen once. They're one-off events. They're undeniable facts. Everyone is born and everyone will die. The New York Times ran an article recently, this is the headline, meet the nun who wants you to remember you will die. Sister Teresa Alethea thought it was pretty punk rock, quote unquote, when she found out that her order's founder kept a model of a skull on his desk. And the reason he did that was to remember that he was going to die, that he was mortal. And so Sister uh, Teresa has done the same thing. She has a, I think she got it from Party City, um, a skull on her desk to remind her that she will die. But she also has a Twitter account with over 47,000 followers. And if you follow her on Twitter, you will be reminded nearly daily that one day you will die. In Latin, memento mori, remember that you will die. Why do I bring up death when we're talking about birth? Well, underlying Jesus' statement about this fact that you have to be born again is this fact of death, that death is inevitable, whether it is sooner or later. But the thing about the kingdom of God, which is what all Jews sought and what is what Nicodemus sought, the kingdom of God is eternal. So how can this be? And furthermore, death is not a part of the kingdom of God. And therefore, entrance into the kingdom requires a new birth. A rebirth that doesn't end in death, but rather never ends. So Jesus says, Nicodemus, you seek the kingdom and in order to enter it, you must be reborn because your body that you're in now is going to die. But there's more than physical death here. Human nature, as it's understood in Scripture, we know it to be in a state of spiritual death. The wages of sin is death. Our rebellion against God means that spiritually we are dead. Therefore, the only way to life as defined by the kingdom and its king is rebirth. You must start a new life wrought by God supernaturally. I think Memento Mori has, you know, some truth to it, obviously. We are all going to die. But it's only a part, even a small part, of the truth. Maybe uh, if any of you want to start a Twitter handle with me saying that you are dead. You are dead. And of course that would mean you are dead spiritually. I think we would 
uh, probably get laughed at. We probably wouldn't get that many followers telling people that they are dead, right? Um, there, are, there are many TV shows and even movies. Uh, it's hard to know as a preacher what the statute of limitations for telling the end of a movie is. Uh, but there's this movie that may or may not have Bruce Willis and may or may not start with the word sixth and end with the word since. Um, but you find out that he's dead at the end. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, he's dead. It's been around for a while. Um, and there are, there are other series and TV shows where you get to the end. I'm sure this has been around in literature for a long time, where you realize that the main characters or some people in the story have been dead the entire time. And, and I, I think it, when you realize that in the end, you have to go back and either watch or read the entire thing because it makes you rethink everything. And when, when we hear that we are dead spiritually, it should, it should make us say, what? Wait, I need to go back and rethink my entire life. You mean I'm dead? I'm not even alive? To the natural mind, it's absurd. And so, of course, to the natural mind, to say that you must be born again, it's absurd. And yet Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom, the embodiment of knowledge, the Logos, the Word made flesh. And he says, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you may not see the kingdom of God. Eternal life is only possible through new birth. The theological word for this is regeneration. You must be born anew. This is a uniquely Christian truth, to be born again. And it's a fact. You must be born again. How does this happen? What's the means of new birth? So if we are befuddled, if we're saying, what, without a T, um, Nicodemus is also baffled. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Let's look at Jesus' response in verse six, uh, five and six. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, is that, that really clears it up for us. He might have muddied the waters even further for Nicodemus. Maybe he's muddied the waters for you. What does that actually mean? Whenever you read the New Testament, um, it's so helpful to have one finger in the Old. Because what the New Testament is, is a commentary on the Old Testament. And so Jesus speaking to a Jewish leader, he would assume some knowledge of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Scriptures. And so we too need to go back. And there's several uh, instances where we need to go back. I think at least four. But let's look at two right now. In Ezekiel 36, 25 through 26, God speaks through the prophet. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
There's another prophet, Isaiah, in Isaiah 44.3. Let's turn there. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. I think we're starting to understand what this water and spirit means. Some have taken this to mean baptism and some have taken this to to argue that in order to be born again, you have to be baptized and that baptism and regeneration go hand in hand. I don't think that's what's going on here. From these prophecies, we see that water is what God is using to describe the Spirit's work. In the first instance, to clean those who are dirty from sin. In the second instance, to give water to a dry and thirsty land. What God is telling the Jewish people at this time, what he's um, now fulfilling in Christ and already has fulfilled in the church by the coming of the Holy Spirit is that when the Holy Spirit comes, there will be new birth. There will be the possibility of a new thing to happen. And when we speak of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a supernatural work of God. This is where he would do a new thing in the hearts of his people. He would make them reborn, partaking of eternal life spiritually by the power of God in them. So how is one born again? It's by the power of God. Specifically, the Holy Spirit working in your heart. Perhaps there was something in Nicodemus that marveled at the signs that he was doing. Nicodemus was a man of great learning, but we don't know that he did any miracles, that he performed any signs. Perhaps, maybe he thought, I can learn something from this guy. Maybe I too can do signs. We don't know this for sure, but... There's a possibility to take this idea of the Holy Spirit and try to harness it for our own work. Um, Countless examples throughout church history uh, abound uh, in this, but misusing the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, it's been misused for for phony spirituality, uh, religious show, greedy gain, And this goes against the very definition of how the Holy Spirit works. Uh, It's Trinity Sunday, as you saw the front of your bulletin. And we've sung about the, the, the triune God. And what we know about God, and if Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, we know that God is not bound by anything or anyone. He freely works He cannot be harnessed. He is God. The Holy Spirit is free from any possibility of coercion or manipulation. Jesus goes on to explain this. He says in verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you all, he uses a plural, must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The wind goes where it wills. We don't know how we see the effects of wind. 
but we don't know how to, um, where it comes from. There's a mystery to how the Holy Spirit works. We can't influence the Holy Spirit's work. He works freely. And therefore, being born again doesn't come because we decided to be born again. It's the free operation of the Holy Spirit. And this, uh, j- just like you didn't choose to be born, and even your parents, uh, we don't have much control over when a child comes, uh, even though we think we might. Um, it, having any child it, it is a work of God. And in the same way, spiritual rebirth is a work of God. It does not come about by human will. The wind goes where it's will, and there is no way to change it. The possibility of new birth. Nicodemus asks, how can these things be? This is a mystery. He's starting to get at it. How can this be, this new birth? How does this work? And in verse 10, Jesus answered him. And he gives him a gentle rebuke. Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you all, he returns to a a plural here, you all do not receive our testimony. If I have told you all earthly things and you all do not believe, how can you all believe if I tell you all heavenly things? Jesus' rebuke of Nicodemus is not that he is wrong to ask the question, but that he of all people among the Jewish people should know that being born of water and the Spirit is referring to the coming of the Holy Spirit that's been prophesied from of old. Even the eyes to see this come from God above. The great irony here is that the one standing before Nicodemus This Jesus from Galilee is the Son of God who makes this new birth possible. Nicodemus, the teacher, speaks to the rabbi, to the teacher who is the logos or the divine wisdom or in our translations in John 1, the word of God. He is the Word made flesh. Let's let's turn back there to this prologue of the Gospel of John, starting in verse 9 of chapter 1. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Under the cover of darkness, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and Jesus turns the lights on. The light of the world. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Nicodemus did not know him. He didn't know who he was. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Nicodemus was of the Jews. Nicodemus at first did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
Jesus of Nazareth, the Word made flesh, the light in the darkness. What else does it say in John 1? It says that he was with God in the beginning. The new birth that Jesus is talking about is none other than the new creation. In Genesis 1, it says that the Spirit hovered over the surface of the deep. And the Word of God came forth and God created. This is new creation that God is doing inside the hearts of his people. He regenerates his people by his spirit through the word of God, bringing them from death to life. Nicodemus addresses Jesus by saying that God is with him. He says this because of the signs, because of the teaching. But little did Nicodemus know that he was with God. He was standing before God. There's further irony at play. The means by which Jesus would accomplish this is completely upside down, would completely baffle someone like Nicodemus. In verse 13, Jesus continues, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The Son of Man, the Messiah that's prophesied in Daniel 7, had descended and was standing right in front of Nicodemus. But this lifting up wasn't what any of us would expect. In Numbers 21, once more we have to go back to the Old Testament to understand what Jesus is saying. In Numbers 21, we have, uh, we're kind of thrown right into the story of the people of Israel wandering through the desert. And if you remember, they were afflicted by fiery serpents. Uh, venomous snakes were biting the Hebrew people and killing them. They were dying, they were getting sick, they were dying. And God tells Moses, and by the way, the reason for this was because of their sin, because of their rebellion. And so God uh, tells Moses, in order to uh, heal the people, in order to stop the work of these serpents, you need to create a bronze serpent and put it on a staff and raise it up so that all the people could see. And so anyone who lifted their eyes and looked at the serpent on Moses' staff, they would be healed. Okay, so what does this have to do with Jesus? Jesus is predicting his death, where he would be lifted up on a cross, where he would embody the curse for sin, the curse that we deserve, that we brought on him, and he would die on our behalf. And it goes on that he would be raised up on the third day. And then he would ascend finally into heaven. And of course, we await his descension one more time when he will come again to take us up with him into glory. 
Jesus conquered what is killing us, what is making us dead, and he makes new life possible. In verse 15, it says that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And this is where I think we, we throw in uh, the concept of conversion into this whole passage. Um, and I think maybe it gets a little muddy. Regeneration, new birth, must, has to precede faith. You have to be born again. God has to make you born again before you can believe. The work of regeneration and new birth is entirely and completely God's work based on his own will. If you think about it, um, if you're into gardening, uh, the, the, the very soil that the seed that grows up and springs up in, as faith. God made the soil. God made the seed. God brings it about and he brings about the fruit of sanctification in your life. It all begins with God. We are merely responding to what God has already done in our hearts. As much as we are unable to literally enter our mother's womb and be born again, so we are unable to bring about regeneration. There are two different things in view here, regeneration and conversion. I wanna look at just briefly two implications this has. That this is deeper than feelings and that it's deeper than appearances. Uh, there's a, a German theologian named uh, Friedrich Schleiermacher in the late 18th and 19th centuries. He's considered the father of modern liberal theology, uh, but I think he's had far greater impact on all theology and all Christians in America than I think we uh, know. Uh, he famously defined the essence of the Christian faith as the feeling of absolute dependence. And this was a big turn to uh, talk about the, the psychology, the, uh, uh, that Christian faith is in the consciousness of the human. And I think in the American church, we have put far too much weight on the feelings, our consciousness of our life in Christ, as opposed to the free and objective work of God on our behalf. I grew up in, in Georgia, it's part of the Bible Belt. I would go to summer camps and you would be invited to be born again. You'd be invited up to the altar and maybe some of you were born again, again, and again, and again, because you never knew, am I born again? It says you must be born again. Well, I'll get born again again today. Um, you maybe never were quite sure. This is where this passage is so important. Regeneration, the new birth is completely a free act of God apart from the human will, which means God is free to regenerate an infant that is still in its mother's womb as he is free to regenerate someone who is on their deathbed. Faith, on the other hand, is the fruit of a regenerate heart. Belief is the inevitable outcome of a heart that is made new by the Holy Spirit. It's also deeper than appearances. Pharisees, are, they're often caricatured as these evil religious zealots, and that was true of so many. 
of the Pharisees, but Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, wasn't necessarily like that. We can see that he was clearly an error. He had some things that were a little bit mixed up, but he was sincere. And it turns out that later on in the Gospel of John, he sort of comes to Jesus' defense. And the, the Pharisees, the other Pharisees kind of rebuke him. And then we see after Jesus' body was taken off the cross, Nicodemus, the same one, went to help with his burial, went to help prepare the body of Jesus. Here is a man who had clearly been changed. This radical message of the gospel is that regeneration is first the invisible work of God beyond the consciousness of the person that eventually leads to faith, eventually leads to uh, justification and a changed life. And this means that we must not put too much stock in appearances, uh, whether or not people appear to be Christians or appear not to be. After all, Jesus says, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Belief is possible for anyone. There's no one too far gone that they cannot be born again. There is no one who is out without the need of a Savior. There's a mystery whom God chooses to save. It's not ours to say. It's not ours to, to know. But there's no doubt that it is God who saves, that you must be born again, that there's a fact to it, that it is God and the Holy Spirit who brings it about and that it's possible for anyone whom he wills. Let's look to him. Let's look to the cross. He can save us. Jesus, who died for us. And let's look nowhere else for our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we marvel at the work that you do this new creation that you are accomplishing, this kingdom that you are bringing about, we thank you that your Holy Spirit uh, has, has done it, uh, is doing it, and will do it. Uh, we pray that your kingdom would come, uh, that you would not tarry, Lord. We ask that the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit would uh, well up in our hearts, that uh, Christ the King in Cambridge, uh, that it would be known as a place where the Holy Spirit is at work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.